Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we explore new technology being developed to prevent future wildfires and hear how President Biden's proposed spending plan could help Colorado's efforts to combat climate change. And we talk with the winner of a national pageant for people with disabilities. It gives me the opportunity to use my advocacy skills to change views, to change hearts, to change minds. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. One of Colorado's largest and most destructive wildfires started one year ago today, and the impacts of the East Troublesome Fire are still being felt in Grand Lake. The fire also raised the stakes for lawmakers and engineers who are trying to find new ways of stopping future blazes. KUNC's Scott Franz has more on the new technology the state is working on to keep residents safe, as well as some of the things that are getting in the way. One of the most powerful fire prevention tools in Colorado is not much bigger than a basketball and is housed at a large hangar at the Centennial Airport. That sound you're hearing is the device being lowered from the belly of a shiny Pilatus PC-12, an airplane that flies high above the state looking for fires no human can see. So the infrared is behind that big lens underneath. Bruce Dickin manages the state's fleet of firefighting aircraft. And then there's a color camera and there's a laser rangefinder in there. This camera can spot unattended campfires from 25 miles away. And its ability to alert firefighters to small blazes, Dickens says, is a big reason Colorado was not ravaged by larger wildfires despite ongoing drought conditions. This year we found 206 new fires so far, um, which is an all-time high for us, right? So fires that nobody knew about, fires that may or may not have become large fires. But there's only two of these eyes in the sky at any given time, and they cannot see everything. The East Troublesome and Cameron Peak fires were not detected quick enough and grew to record sizes. It's what convinced lawmakers to spend money on a new firefighting tool. It's called a Firehawk, a military-grade Sikorsky helicopter that some credit with saving the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California from approaching flames two years ago. That state's governor, Gavin Newsom, has since ordered six more and uses the aircraft as a backdrop for several of his press conferences. These replace the old 1970s Huey helicopters. These are state-of-the-art. These fly much faster. They allow for more suppression, and they're a lot more safe. Colorado's first $24 million Firehawk is being built in Inglewood and will not take to the skies until next year. In the meantime, engineers in Colorado have been testing a new technology they say is starting to revolutionize how firefighters battle wildfires down on the ground. The main technology that we've been working with is an app for smartphones. Brad Schmidt develops firefighting technology from his office in Rifle. It's called the Team Awareness Kit. And it was originally developed by the military to provide that common operating picture and real-time map of the battlefield. So, I'll just show you a video. This is what it looks like. 
Schmidt pulls up a simulation on his laptop and shows me how firefighters can view the exact perimeter of a blaze, along with locations of their fellow firefighters in the palm of their hand. Each person, fire engine, and aircraft appear as a small dot. The positions are refreshed every 10 seconds. They've never had this type of real-time information before, and some of them have been working in fire for 20, 30 years. Um, typically, they'll get one you know, map of the fire every 24 hours. In a lot of cases, it literally is a paper map of the fire. The technology was tested on this year's Muddy Slide Fire in Route County near Steamboat Springs, as well as another blaze in California. And the supervising firefighters out on the fire line could see where the fire had grown to, and they actually made a decision to directly attack the fire rather than retreating and executing a large burnout operation. And that strategy was successful and actually kept the fire several thousand acres smaller than it otherwise would have been. But other parts of the state's response since the East Troublesome Fire are not making as much headway. We're really excited to show you some of the science that we're working on and we're going to start off out here. Senator John Hickenlooper visited a wildfire research lab in Fort Collins last month. It included a discussion with some of the state's top scientists and firefighters about how to prevent future wildfires but it turned into more of a venting session of what has not been working in recent years. We spent a million dollars on 250 homes. Gary Brees, who leads the state's association of fire chiefs, complained about how expensive it was to clear trees and shrubs from his wooded neighborhood south of Castle Rock. It's nice to see. It complete, looks completely different, but we've already seen the regrowth. Federal money has also been flowing into the state for mitigation projects, but Lori Hodges, who leads the Emergency Management Office in Larimer County, says she can't use it. Because there's too many restrictions on it, and most of those restrictions are based on which lands can you use, what can you do on what lands, and then if you can't get those dollars to agree in different pots, you can't get anything done. At the end of the roundtable, I asked Senator Hickenlooper what he could do in Washington before the next fire season. There isn't very much government can do, right? We jump up and down and wave our arms and say, plan, you get rid of the shrubbery, don't have wood shakes on your roof. You know, if you're in the woody, you know, we scream and yell, we, do, we spend millions of dollars on average, and, and yet your heart breaks when you go out and look at one of these fires afterwards and, and you hear the stories from these families. And there's, at that point, there's not much you can just same thing with COVID. So many people now don't want to get vaccines. I'm not trying to start a, a fight around the table, but you know, it's a free country and we allow people to run this amount of freedom, which means that in a, in a sense they have to take responsibility. Meanwhile, the state's firefighting technology center continues to test other new methods of stopping fires from getting out of control. This includes a self-driving all-terrain vehicle that could deliver supplies to firefighters. And there are new drones that could one day replace firefighters at dangerous scenes. I'm Scott Franz in Denver. Last month, President Joe Biden made a stop in Colorado. He visited the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Boulder, where he talked about the urgency of addressing climate change. The climate change is current today, not next year, not 10 years from now. <clears throat> we have to make the investments that are going to slow our contributions to climate change today not tomorrow. And he used the opportunity to highlight how his proposed spending package would do just that. That's why my Build Back Better plan calls for significant new investments. I've set a course for the United States to achieve 50 to 52 percent 
reduction in greenhouse emissions by 2030. And for us to reach that net zero emissions in the economy, economy-wide, across the board, by 2050. As part of that, I set a goal of having our country reduce 100 100 percent carbon pollution free power by 2035. We can do that. Of course, that spending package, along with much of the Build Back Better agenda, is facing major challenges gaining support among lawmakers in Washington. Colorado's two Democratic senators both support the spending plan, although the state's representatives are split along party lines. If it passes, it will likely be modified significantly. Whether or not it passes in its current form, we got curious about what such a large spending plan would mean for Colorado and our own state efforts to combat climate change. So we reached out to Matthew Garrington. He is senior manager of the Environmental Defense Action Fund, which is the advocacy wing of the Environmental Defense Fund. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Happy to be here today, Aaron. Thank you for having me. I think it's easy to get confused about all of the different White House proposals floating around right now. There's Build Back Better. There's the infrastructure package. There's the $3.5 trillion spending package. Could we just start by sorting out what's what? Um, What is Build Back Better and, and what are the two spending packages? Sure. So Build Back Better is a vision that was put forward by President Biden um, on how we can uh, recover from the recent economic downturn and our struggles with COVID-19 and make smarter investments now um, for how we address uh, the issue of the day, uh, which is really climate change. So, you know, if we take a look at what's being considered, there's over a trillion dollars that would go toward climate change. That's more than 10 times the amount of dollars that was in the 2009 Recovery Act. And just under half of that would go toward things like transportation and infrastructure. Now, clearly, as you're pointing out, there's a lot of negotiating happening. You know, the two different packages, both infrastructure and the budget are moving along parallel lines. And so what ends up in the final package, you know, we'll find out. And how is climate change prioritized in these spending bills? Yeah, you know, this really is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to address climate change and cut pollution 50% by 2030. And, you know, thankfully, our senators, you know, Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper, as well as representatives in Northern Colorado, like Joe Neguse, have made climate change a priority in those negotiations. Now, whether or not climate change remains a priority uh, will ultimately depend on what Washington does. Um, so, you know, there, there's there are multiple different provisions that would have significant impact, you know, whether it is uh, creating incentives uh, for clean energy, uh, cleaning up orphan wells, and there are hundreds of those across Colorado, and those leak methane, which is a dangerous climate change uh, pollutant. Uh, whether there's funding for Western wildfires, both the prevention and resiliency for dealing uh, with those impacts after the fact. Yeah, obviously the spending bills are in limbo at the moment, but we are curious about what those proposals mean for Colorado. You did mention orphan wells and wildfire mitigation, um, but what types of investments in climate action could Coloradans expect if these spending packages pass? Well, let's you know talk 
very briefly about what it means for folks in Northern Colorado. Um, you know, in 2013, I had a family member that was evacuated due to flooding. Last summer, I had family members that were evacuated due to Western wildfires. Um, this summer, Coloradans felt the impact of some of the worst uh, air quality on record. We had a record number of ozone pollution days. Now, those were twofold. One was the existing pollution problem from oil and gas uh, and vehicles, uh, but second was from Western wildfires super fueled by climate change. So it, you know, this really isn't just about what dollars are being spent uh, on the ground. Um, it's about what are the long-term impacts and what's the cost of inaction if we don't do something about climate change. Now, in terms of you know where some of the funds could go, um, you know there could be upwards of a billion dollars that could go toward uh, public transit and create more transit options for Coloradans, so they don't have to get in their car. So, what are Colorado's weak points when it comes to climate action? Where do we need the most investment? So, Colorado's got some bold goals for addressing climate change, and that has occurred through a number of bills that have been passed through the state legislature and signed by the governor. Uh, the simple fact is we are not on track to meet those goals. Um, you know, if we're actually gonna meet those climate change goals, we're gonna need a couple of things. We're gonna need strong action at the state level, but we also need a strong partner at the federal government where they're making investments that can help states like Colorado meet those goals for addressing climate change. We're speaking with Matthew Garrington, the senior manager of the Environmental Defense Action Fund. So let's talk about Colorado's strengths then. Where does the state stand to benefit most significantly by the potential influx of funding for climate action? Yeah, so, you know, I would say we're good, not great when it comes to jobs in the clean energy economy. Um, in northern Colorado, we've got Vestas, which has a wind manufacturing facility. Uh, there's also Lightning Motors, and they build electric vehicles, uh, particularly uh, buses and trucks. Um, but there's a lot of room to grow when it comes to jobs in the clean energy economy. And so this will help states like Colorado make smarter investments. Um, it'll also affect uh, companies in the industrial sector by creating incentives for them to reduce pollution uh, and make better investments. So it sounds like we have a wealth of manufacturing and a wealth of brains here in Colorado to, to make this happen. Absolutely. We, we've got all the right parts. We just need to be putting those into action. Opponents of the spending package say it's too costly. And, it, you know, it's hard to argue that when we're talking about price tags and the trillions of dollars. Um, but what is your response to that argument? Would these spending bills recklessly increase the deficit, as some say? I would say that the cost of inaction on climate change is too much for Colorado. Uh, think about all the damage that has already occurred uh, due to the Western wildfires this last summer. Think about the costs of the uh, polluted air. We simply cannot afford to make smart investments. Also, I would keep in mind that you know this isn't a plan for next year. This is a plan for the next decade. And so the choices we make now um, are going to have important and dramatic consequences to ensure that we've got a healthy economy and a healthy environment uh, for Colorado for years to come. Yeah. yeah. Talk a little bit more about the stakes. What does happen if this spending bill dies in the Senate and this money for climate action isn't forthcoming? It is unquestionable that Congress is going to move forward with a budget infrastructure package. The real question is whether or not climate change will be a priority. And, you know, it, a presidential administration, if they're lucky, gets one, maybe two landmark signature pieces of legislation. So if we're going to make the kind of investment that we're talking about right now, 
this is really our one shot to fundamentally change the direction of how the government spends money uh, and what type of incentives uh, we adopt in our tax code to encourage clean energy and climate solutions. Does it feel like this could at last be a kind of a watershed moment for taking action on climate change? You know, there is overwhelming appetite among the electorate for bold and strong climate action. Uh, it's definitely going to happen. Uh, the question really will be, you know, where do the sides meet? Um, so, you know, I am cautiously optimistic that we'll walk away with a budget package that everyone can be proud of, that takes bold and significant steps toward climate change. Um, but make no doubt about it, you know, we need folks like Senators Hickenlooper and Bennett to keep fighting all the way to the end to make sure climate change remains a priority. Matthew Garrington is senior manager of the Environmental Defense Action Fund. That's the advocacy wing of the Environmental Defense Fund. Matthew, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Many pageant competitions are centered around appearance and beauty, but the national Miss Amazing pageant is different. It celebrates women and girls with disabilities of all kinds and focuses on building self-esteem. And this year's Miss Amazing 2021 Savannah Overturf is from Fort Collins. She was crowned at the national competition in Nashville in July. Savannah is a communications student at Colorado State University, a slam poet, and a fierce advocate for people with disabilities. She joins us now from the CSU campus to talk about her work and her plans for her year-long reign as Miss Amazing. Yeah, hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you here. I'd like to start, uh, if we can, by understanding what your disabilities are. And I know that you don't call them disabilities. You have a different way of classifying them. So can you tell us about that? Yes, of course. So I do like to say uh, unique abilities because I don't think anyone is truly disabled. Um, I think the term diminishes who we are and what we can bring to society. But we are all unique and we all make our own way in our world. I personally have uh, autism, IDD, which is an intellectual developmental delay, uh, along with epilepsy, schizophrenia, and Tourette's syndrome. Um, So I have a list of unique things, but they all coincide to make me. I love that. Now, tell us about how you initially got involved with Miss Amazing. Um, So I originally got involved uh, through the first Miss Amazing pageant uh, here in Colorado in 2017. I was going just to go with a friend, see kind of how it went. They had told me about it. I thought it seemed, you know, interesting, but it wasn't something I was going to win or do anything like that. It was just to have fun with a friend. Uh, The friend ended up not feeling well. And so she didn't even come. And so I went with my mother and a mutual friend um, who just was kind of like a buddy to me. And I went there and it all just opened up into just what it actually is. I ended up winning um, the Colorado title that year. um, And it was definitely something I did not expect. And of course, before you won the national title, you were Miss Amazing Colorado, as you mentioned. Tell us a bit about that experience. It gave me the opportunity to talk to different people and try to change different views. Um, As someone who does not always what people think of what is disabilities or look like disabilities, um, I consider myself to have invisible things. And so 
people wouldn't see or wouldn't understand me. And I was able to make new friends in Miss Amazing and not just in Colorado, because as you become a Miss Amazing representative, you really get to know all the other representatives in all the other states. And I'm wondering how you prepared for the national Miss Amazing competition. How, how did you get ready for this? It, w- it was a process. I definitely, we had workshops with Miss Amazing uh, for our local Colorado pageant. Um, so we'd get together, we'd practice because everyone knows that people get nervous and that's totally okay to get nervous. It's about how we overcome things and how we work on different activities. Um, For example, a lot of us were unsure about interviews. How do you do that? I've never interviewed for a job. So how do I interview in front of like judges? And so we actually had practice interviews and what type of things would you talk about? How do you exert yourself so that people understand and uh, want to know you. And I think that was really helpful. Um, I also prepared, I guess, by getting to know my friends beforehand. I think that was a big thing. Definitely, even before COVID, we were doing Zooms and video chats and everything. We're talking with Savannah Overturf with the National Miss Amazing Pageant for Women and Girls with Disabilities. Uh, so it sounds like Savvy, that part of your work as Miss Amazing is pursuing a cause or this passion project uh, to champion during and after the pageant. I want to dive a little deeper into what yours is. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm currently working to try to start an initiative um, I'm calling the Inclusion Project. It is specifically to go into schools, to go into businesses and organizations and do an educational setting and tell them about different situations and things that can arise for those with IDD and autism and how to accept, understand, and help in those situations in society. Because we're here, we're not going anywhere, and sometimes we might need a little extra help and we we might not. Um, something I talk about uh, regularly is stemming. Um, which is a neurological symptom um, that coincides with autism. Um, Stemming is a movement. um, And it can be all different types of things, either when you're excited or upset or overstimulated or understimulated. Um, You might have sensory objects or toys. Or for example, I tend to make uh, fists and I shake them and they're close to my face. Um, And a thing a business can do or not do is to observe these, to just understand that they're happening and they are okay to happen. And what do you hope to accomplish with the Inclusion Project? I truly hope to not just educate people, but one, I always say that one person, if you change one person's mind or if you help one person know what to do, that person might change someone else's day and so on and so forth, like a domino effect. I say the same thing with a smile. If you smile at someone, that smile can change a person's day and then it can just keep going. And it makes just a wonderful society. If we all can understand people with IDD and autism, I don't expect it to happen in one day. I don't expect it to happen in a year. 
But I think if we work on it slowly, it is achievable. Yeah. And how does that fit in with perhaps changes that you would want to see in the world for people with disabilities and unique abilities like yourself? Changes that I want to see are are things that can't always be seen. Um, For example, I talked about uh, stemming. I know I've had occurrences where I will be at a restaurant and I will see a plate coming that I'm excited about, just a food item, something simple. And I might stem that looks like I'm excited. Uh, The waitress has come over and said, oh my gosh, how cute. I would like to note that I was at the time 22, 21. I am no longer cute. I am an adult. Um, and putting those features on someone who has a full capacity to be themselves. Um, and so understanding that those little changes change someone's day. For example, that's something that sticks with me and does hurt. But because those things can happen, it's not about being wrong. The waitress did not know that that was something you don't do. And so that's why I'm going to educate because not everyone knows that that's not the correct response. And it's okay not to know. To that point, are there things that people can do in everyday life to help bring about those changes? Uh, Yes, extremely. Um, One thing I talk about also is for schools. If someone is sitting alone at a lunch table, even if they are nonverbal, If you see them sitting there as a student, as a teacher, a student would be best just to have that coinciding, but going over and sitting with them. You could sit there in silence if you want, but that simple act lets them know they're not alone um, and really helps influence change. I think just, I really believe in small acts. And if you see those acts and if you feel those acts, that's the purpose of what I'm doing. Savannah Overturf is the winner of the National 2021 Miss Amazing Pageant for Women and Girls with Disabilities. Savannah, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me. That's our show for today. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. 